0: Welcome, y'all, to the Direct Examination Podcast. I'm Dane Phillips.
1: And I'm Joseph Bias. Dane, how are you today?
0: Oh, man, the world is my oyster. Just peachy. How about if, you?
1: I, I enjoy you having a positive attitude during this time where everything
0: is horrible and uh, sucks. <laughs> look, look, just because I verbally say things doesn't at <laughs> I, I advocate for a living. There so, you go. What's coming out of my mouth might not be exactly the way I feel in that moment, considering so, I just got home from work.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, if you need a criminal defense attorney, call Dane. Even if it's not true, it'll come out of his mouth and it'll be okay.
0: I will zealously advocate (laughs) on your behalf. Guaranteed.
1: You will notice that our uh, third musketeer is not with us today. Um, We wish her the best in her motherly duties, but we... Do, before we get to our guest, Dane, I, see, he's too proud and, 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 and too uh, humble to say this, but Dane is, a, uh, is nominated by the Free Times as Best DUI Attorney and Best Law Firm. Isn't that right, Dane?
0: I'm just a simple man from West Columbia. <laughs> Look
1: at him. Look at him. All you know, right. Well, the
0: pe- what the people want, the people should get. And I think the people want me to win in both of those categories. That's that's just what i've heard around town that's right so that's
1: if you are if you are a people and if you have a computer <laughs> presumably uh, you did to access the show go on your computer your cellular phone uh, your laptop whatever it is that you have go to freetimes.com free-times.com and go vote for Dane as best law firm and DUI uh, attorney. He will appreciate it. And if he does get that award, then Dane will come on this podcast and sing a song of your choice. So this is something that we should all look forward to. Vote for Dane and um, that's gonna be great. Now, the other place that you can see Dane, Amber and I is on Twitter. For the next two weeks, uh, we will be mostly, uh, I don't know if, they
0: really need to go back and try to catch up. Yeah. I mean, We've got some good stuff on there.
1: It's some really good stuff. It's been a lot of fun. If you're on Twitter, go on Tuesday nights. We've done it the past three or four weeks, but we have two more weeks to go. We're watching The People versus OJ Simpson on Netflix. So you queue up the episode with us, start at 8 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, and then just follow the hashtag, Scyld watches. That's Sc Young Lawyers Division. Scyld watches, and you can follow us and follow judges, attorneys, prosecutors, defense attorneys. Talk about this, not only this case, but the criminal practice in general. And it's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, just last night I told a judge that. Uh, Because he overruled me versus Twitter – or no, excuse me. He sustained uh, the objection of the prosecutor, and I I asked him if uh, he was ready to get reversed. So I was calling judges out on Twitter last night.
1: Um, So while Dane still has a bar license, that's a a good thing that you can uh, do and pay attention to. But yes, every Tuesday night coming – so this episode will come out on Monday, so tomorrow or – Uh, Check it out. Check us out and you'll see the entire uh, direct examination podcast team and a lot of our friends. Now, all that being said, we have Dane, who's a representative of the free times and you should vote for him as the best law firm. But we also have other illustrious guests. We have celebrities uh, in our (laughs) midst and we have other who were not nominated this year, but maybe for the future uh, will be nominated for Best Law Firm. So our first guest, who you will recognize her voice as a previous guest on the show, is the wonderful April Sampson, a Fifth Circuit deputy solicitor. Uh, not only does April head the second in command in Richland County and Kershaw County, uh, but she handles her own cases and trains new solicitors for that uh, circuit. Uh, she's also an adjunct professor at the law school, a, a coach Co-coach of a wonderful mock trial team and uh, a pretty damn good trial attorney. Uh, So, April, welcome to the direct examinative
0: podcast again. And as seen on Court TV. As
1: like, seen on Court TV. She, she will be the, uh, the celebrity part of um, this uh, show. <laughs>
2: Thank we you were- very much uh, for having me. And, um, I'm not that popular.
0: <laughs> um, your, PR, your PR people say much differently than that. And so well, it, it, they told me the kind of next year about adding that category of best solic- solicitor for uh, the free times. And we're going to certainly push for that.
2: I like it. I like it. We'll see what they have.
1: Uh, Our next guest is Mark McLawhorn. Mark was a judicial law clerk at the South Carolina Court of Appeals. He was also previously a assistant federal public defender and also had clerk for the South Carolina appellate court. Um, He now owns and operates McLawhorn law, which you can find online. Um, And he practices criminal defense and personal injury law. Mark, Thank you so much for joining us as well. Yeah, Thank you for having
3: me.
0: Thanks, Mark. I'm glad to have another one of my brothers in arms on criminal defense to practice, especially with the appellate. There's very few of us appellate uh, practitioners out here.
1: Yes. Mark, let's start with you. So as somebody who has done appellate work and um, as a minority doing appellate criminal defense work, first, can you give us just a little bit of background of why you wanted to get into that, how you started it, um, just to kind of give maybe law students listening a little bit of your
3: background. Okay. So when I was in law school, I did moot court competitions with the black law students association. And um, I went to a reception and uh, met a judge there and I, uh, um applied for a job, and I started my career clerking at the Sacramento Court of Appeals for two years. Um, and I also after that, I went to clerk at the U.S. Court of Appeals Fifth Circuit in Louisiana. And one thing about appellate law, that is really what has changed a lot um, of African-Americans in society by getting decisions at the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals to overturn lower decisions that were not fair uh, to African-Americans. Um, so I got interested in appellate law, do moot court competitions also, the historical of the appellate courts and the civil rights movement uh, may be strongly interested in doing appellate work. April, I know you're more of a trial
1: attorney. Um, and those of you who uh, haven't heard April's first appearance can go back and listen to that. I think where you were on there with Joseph Dickey, um, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you both a little bit about the uh, not only the, the climate that's in uh, America today and certainly in South Carolina, but your experiences as minorities in criminal, uh, the criminal field. April, as an African-American woman working as a prosecutor, can you just start, tell us a little bit about how that experience is uh, for you and the dynamics that you face um, in making those decisions?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's different when you're for two reasons for me than maybe for other solicitors is because as a woman and as a black woman, you kind of look at the facts and the cases differently. Um, And so you're bringing a different perspective. You know, I may understand more why somebody would not, why you might start to try drugs or why you might being in that community, do what it is you do based on just simply having experienced things like that, whether it's me or my, my relatives or whatever, the difference that I see in court, is that oftentimes people don't know that I'm a lawyer. You know, when they talk to me on the phone or they, they see me, they assume I'm either a defendant, I'm the court reporter, um, I'm anybody but the prosecutor. Um, and so getting past that hurdle is often something that you don't really think about until you're in it. And people are like, oh, you're not what I expected. And, you know, you don't know if that means you expected me to be white or did you, you know, not expect me to be a prosecutor. I'm not always sure what they mean when they say that I'm not what they expected.
3: And I'd like to echo that sentiment. Um, so sometimes when I go to jails, uh, when it, really when I was an assistant federal public defender, they either thought I was a mortician or I was a probation agent, um, but they never thought I was a lawyer at all. And it almost um, shocked a lot of people when they found out I was a lawyer.
2: And I think it's worse if you're a public defender because – not only then do you have to get over that, you hey, hey, you're a black lawyer, but they don't even think you're a lawyer most of the time if you're a defender. They want to know when you're going to graduate from law school, when you're going to stop being an apprentice, when is your six-week program up. I mean, I got to ask, I was a public defender before I, mean, I, was here. I
1: This here. This is a regular thing that Dave and I bring up about uh, the unappreciated public defenders in the uh, in, oh. in state.
0: My story of that is I was, when I was a public defender, got a, had a possession of crack case. I was a young public defender, got suppressed, case dismissed, and my client came up to me and said, man, when you become a lawyer, you're going to be really good. And I said, <laughs> man, I appreciate the vote of confidence. Uh, but so, yeah, you're right. But I, I want to tell everybody to go back, and I want to echo uh, Joseph to listen to April's uh, when she was on the podcast before because her and and Amber really went into a lot of the gender discrimination uh, that uh, you know, females face in our profession and so I, I know that's not our focus of, of this podcast but definitely go back check out that that old podcast because they they went into some uh, some some deep-rooted issues in South Carolina and of course throughout the country and uh, it's something that you know it's its it's just shocking and again you know it's just something that It's just hard to even hear the stories that they tell in that episode. So definitely go back and check it out.
1: April, one of the dynamics that we're seeing is um, that I was hoping that you could shed some light on and then we'll kind of get to your perspective, Mark. So, there's obviously a lot of conversation about uh police and you know their not only their role but um how we fund them, how we value them, how we uh, use them in court proceedings as someone who regularly deals with the police and use them to make a case. Can you talk a little bit about your work with the police and your opinions as it comes to Everything that's going on. And then, Mark, I'm going to ask you the opposite as a defense attorney. um, How do you deal with uh, officers and play? And how is that dynamic as an African-American?
2: Well, as far as how for a prosecutor and I don't know if people know this in South Carolina. I know y'all did criminal work, so you know it. But the police officers make the case. It's not like on TV where you see like the prosecutors working with the cops to make a case. It's made usually before I get it. And so a lot of my job is figuring out, okay, what do we still need to do or what did what they, what they did? Was it correct? Because, and I don't mean in a way that's racially motivated. I mean, sometimes they just don't do it right. I mean, it may be they shouldn't have stopped someone or it could be they didn't read somebody their rights when they were supposed to. It's not, I'm not saying it's racially motivated. I'm just saying sometimes they mess up. And, you know, so our job is to try to figure out how can I fix that or do I need to dismiss it because you just can't fix it. Um, I don't think, even given the climate of what we're dealing with now, at least the cops I've dealt with. And Let me be frank. I've dealt with cops before I became a prosecutor. My mother works for the police department in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I've dealt with cops my whole life. But I don't think any of them go in – to a day and go, I think I want to shoot a black person today, whether they're black or white. Or I don't think I want to just arrest a bunch of black people. I don't think that most of them go into that with that thought in their head. But I do think that all of us have prejudices and your prejudices are based on your experiences and what you've been taught. Right. So maybe you don't like blondes because a blonde rejected you one day, you know, but I think that (laughs) their belief systems and why they arrest someone maybe based on their experiences in general, you are are arresting more black people than you are white people for various reasons, having mostly to do with economics and not having to do with race. And, you know, I don't, I wish there was a quick fix and I don't think there is defund, in my opinion, defunding police officers is not the right answer. If you want to redirect some of those funds to maybe better training, maybe more community outreach, um, we do a lot of things that they're advocating for in South Carolina, but people just aren't aware. Well, I should say in Richland County, for example, we already have a board when there's a shooting or anything like that, or any police misconduct. We have a board that's part of the public that looks at that. That's one of the recommendations they have, Um, you know, changing some of the policies. So I don't know about defunding, but I wouldn't be hurt by directing funds to a different way.
3: Yes. My general interaction with law enforcement um, as a defense attorney um, to be honest with you, um, I pretty much got along with them pretty well. I've had a lot of law enforcement that worked out great deals for my clients who want wanted the clients to um, be productive citizens of society and do better. Um, and the cases where I had where I had some tension with law enforcement, um, those cases got worked out. I talked to the prosecutor, and the prosecutor saw my point, point of view in that particular issue. And um, like April was saying, sometimes you may have, a search issue in the case Miranda issue is not like a bias in the case, but you did it wrong. And you, and for the system of justice work, you got to make sure that you have those protections to ensure that those rights are protected for the defendants. But overall, um, my interactions have been pretty positive uh, with law enforcement, working out deals with my clients, at least in like the magistrate court level. Again, when the state level, like the general, like the, um, the general sessions court, the, the prosecutors have been very fair Um, and able to work things out. Uh, One thing I'd like to touch on, defunding the police. Um, I believe that is an artfully uh, worded. Uh, I think a lot of people want, we need police. We need order in society. But I I also agree with what April said earlier. She said that redirect the resources to certain areas of the community, more social workers, more job training uh, facilities, um, more um, counselors. And also maybe some more um, Maybe some more programs for parents To learn how to to, um, increase their parenting Skills to help out in the community So uh, again I think we definitely Redirect resources Law enforcement has a central role But uh, we got to make sure that Society as a whole uh, is protected
0: One of the things that April brought up about Socioeconomic issues And this quote unquote war on drugs That we've had that's failed uh, It's just been a a horrible experiment for the United States, uh, since the eighties, what, what is your take as a prosecutor? And I know you, you touched on this in that prior, uh, podcast episode, uh, was, you know, where you feel, or at least have made the, you know, they have the accusations that, you know, with prosecutors, uh, in these, uh, this quote unquote war on drugs, low level and non, uh, you know, victimless crimes. What's your opinion with that? With drugs, and I know that's a that's a loaded statement. Joseph, it's a you, people listening can't see Joseph giving me that look. You know, it, he's giving me this look. But it, when I say victimless crimes, I understand that's a loaded statement with a drug case. But for many of them, there it is a victimless crime, and so I'd like to get April's take on that as a prosecutor.
2: I just <laughs> wish that we treated all of. If we're going to do a war on drugs, as you want to say, if we're going to incarcerate or punish or however you want to phrase it, people for who are just possessing drugs or just using drugs, and I say just meaning they're not dealing, selling, trafficking, whatever, then I wish it was equal. And what I mean by that is we we've never treated someone with a meth, with a meth addiction with um, an opioid addiction the same as we treat someone with a crack addiction. I mean, the war on drugs were for crack it was for crack and blacks. Now that you see nurses and you know law enforcement whomever else using opioids now it's oh we've got to treat the person not the you know not don't treat them as a as a problem treat them as an addict well, why aren't we doing all of them that way? so that is more of what i think we should do is if we're going to i don't think we're ever going to not prosecute for drug possession i just don't think that's ever going to happen because there's there's it doesn't sound good if you're in law enforcement or if you're a politician to say, I'm soft on drugs. I mean, that's never going to sound well. So I don't think it's ever right. going to but I would like for it to be treated the same. If you're going to say that people with opioid addiction need to go to treatment facilities and not prison, then you do the same for crack. That's my opinion.
3: And can I chime in on that? By all means. That's my yeah. next question. So, you know, actually, when I was working as a federal public defender, I saw a lot of the mandatory minimums come in play in cases. And um, you have someone who may have been in the state system, got probation twice, got predicate prior convictions, getting enhanced in federal court, and now they're looking at 151 to 188 months as a career offender, which is 12 to 15 years, or 262 to 327 months, which is 24 to 27 years. Okay. Never really served any time in jail, got probation, but they got enhanced in federal court and i always thought was interesting are these supposed to be we, we incarcerating people for such longer periods long periods of time but they're being represented by me at that time was a no public defender and so i'm trying to see it was a big disconnect and of course the judges they personally may disagree with mandatory minimum somebody getting a five-year minimum or 10-year minimum right uh, but they're constrained by the law but I, there has been some um improvement in that regard. Um, you know, I know President Obama passed the um uh, the crack reduction laws and the Fair Sentencing Act and also under the First Step Act, there's been some um changes where you can get a life sentence if you had two or prior more uh predicate conventions of a certain amount in federal court and that's been dropped to I think twenty or twenty five years. It just it just you know breaks your heart you see people have never been in jail for a long time and then they have to, to do a stiff sentence. And in the federal system, it's no parole. And you have to serve 85% of your sentence. And, um, you know, we're locking up generations of people who are very smart. Um, they made some bad decisions. A lot of that could be the upbringing, but they're not dumb people. And I never, ever met a client in my um, years of practicing that said they want to grow up and, be, and go to jail. And the jail is... Criminal justice system is like the last stop on a destination, but we need to figure out how to get people uh, redirected on the first stop of, of the destination. Like again, there might be like having more social workers, like April said, uh, maybe not stand, not defunding police, but redirecting resources like social workers, more mentors in the community, more job training um, places, more after school tutorial programs, so we can redirect. Um, the youth from going in those uh, negative ways and filling up in our systems. And one last thing, and, and these lengthy sentences, they cost a lot of money. The average yearly right. um, expense for somebody in, in the U.S. Um, uh, Bureau of prisons, it's like 30, $35,000 a year. So if you send somebody to 20 years, you know, that is a lot of money. That's $700,000 that could be redirected um, and to other programs and probably had a more beneficial impact. It was redirected 15 years ago, as opposed to when they're already in the system.
1: Mark, I'm curious. Um, there, obviously we're, we're all located in the greater Columbia area. And, uh, recently, ever since the uh, murder of George Floyd, we've had many protests and you, uh, came out and said that for individuals who are arrested for peacefully protesting, that you would uh, represent them pro bono. Um, why did you choose to do that? What was it about these protests in this case uh, and these protesters, I guess, that spoke to you to whether you'd want to donate your time for that?
3: So I think in my lifetime, this is probably the most uh, mass mobilization I've seen. Um, in protests um, throughout the U.S. You have some that may pop up for five days and that's it. Um, I think the George Floyd video, it was horrific. It's the worst thing I've ever seen on tape. Um, It was just bad. And it struck a chord in my heart. And there there are people out here who are protesting peacefully. They are standing up for a just noble cause um, to stand against police brutality and oppression of people in minority neighborhoods um, who may be like they are policed heavily. And I think the stats may bear that out when you look at the disproportionate minority contact in the criminal justice system. And I always believe that the right to assembly in the First Amendment is one of the most important rights um, that we have. It's in the First um, Amendment of the Constitution. And, you know, the United States was born out of protest, the American Revolution. Uh, That was how we got uh, the DNA and genius of our country is by protesting. And in a civil rights movement, Peaceful protesters were arrested. It was illegal for them. And I feel like with this noble cause that's going on that um, lawyers do not need to be on the sideline. They need to help to advance the ball of justice. And that means representing people who, who get charged by peacefully protesting. That's not going to happen in the majority of cases. Some, a lot of people are getting arrested in, in other parts of the country and maybe some parts in South Carolina, Maybe did some riots. And that's bad. Nobody wants... Buildings burn and things of that nature, but people are peacefully protesting. They're getting caught up in it too, and we need to ensure that their rights are protected because they are exercising the most fundamental principle that's in our constitution: right to assembly. It's the First Amendment. Now, April,
1: you're throwing all these people in jail. Tell us why. I'm just. just, We can totally (laughs) edit that out. We can. (laughs) No, no, No.
2: I haven't thrown any protesters.
1: <laughs> April, you personally are throwing these individuals <laughs> in jail who are just trying to advance the ball for justice, like Mark said. Um, why is that? Why do you hate <laughs> protesters, justice, freedom, and black people? <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> let me let me ask a legit yeah, question. Not,
0: not, yeah, nice segue. <laughs>
1: um, one of the interesting uh, dynamics that we all have is the concept of accountability and the checks and balances. So a police officer makes an arrest. He's not the end all be all. He has to filter it through April. And then that gets filtered through a defense attorney and then a judge before some decision gets made. Are we doing a good job at that? Are there improvements that we can make not only in the accountability for police officers, but lawyers, judges, the legal system? Is there improvements that you would like to see when it comes to keeping everybody accountable, make sure they're doing their jobs. Right. April, I'll go to you.
2: For me, I mean, I, I hope that our office is doing a good job. It seems like we are doing as best we can to be accountable once we get cases and looking at them. And we're actually looking at, at our office and trying to figure out is there more we can do because, of course, we most of the op- people in our office are white. And so, you you know, do we need to have some sort of discussion about how are you evaluating cases? Are you looking at that? Um, And as far as the the way defense attorneys like, Dane and Mark be bothering me, I'm pretty sure that they (laughs) are doing their job. And I don't, I'm just kidding. They're not bothering me. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And so I think that is a, a very good layer of protection for the defendants. Where I think we could have some changes is, of course, maybe you could have more training with officers, Their job is so hard, though. We are always all backseat quarterbacking those guys. I mean, and women, they're having to make split-second decisions in terms of, do I pull a gun? Do I pull somebody over? Do I chase them? Do I not chase them? And they have to make those literally in seconds. And we, as the public, look back and go, oh, you shouldn't have done that or you should have done something different. And so, you know, that – their job is hard. So, I mean, I know that there needs probably to be some more training there, but I would wish that, and I'm with Mark on this, there was more that we could do on the front end. I'd rather be unemployed and have no crime than to continue to have as much as we have. i be working somewhere else. I mean, I wouldn't be really unemployed. Right, you
1: wouldn't do that. I but got, not be I a prosecutor. Said, I got what you were trying to you say. You got what I was throwing out right. there. Right. So, Mark, I mean, what
3: about you? Yeah. Um, I think law enforcement need more training. I believe on the Criminal Justice Academy, it's only 12 weeks uh, of training that they're required in South Carolina. Law enforcement and police outside the military are the only jobs that I, that I can think of that somebody can lawfully kill someone. I mean, think about that. you go in three months. I mean, it's just too short. And I believe that's one thing that can be easily fixed is just extending the training period. Uh, the Criminal Justice Academy in Starkville is only twelve weeks. Um, I think it needs at least be six weeks, six no six months or nine months. Um, again, law enforcement are the only people that I know that can legally kill someone um, based on their job and their role. And I think that you know we need more training to ensure that when we put officers on the street that they're thinking about the, they think about the situation, um, think know that it's somebody life that they have in their hand.
1: If 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 I'm understanding you correctly, if we were to increase, and, you know, I've seen this online, this isn't my thought, but, yeah. you know, cops don't go to law school, they they have a very abridged, um, you know, training, uh, like Mark said, for 12 weeks, and then you're let out into the world. And oh, I, I think there's a, a balance there, either, we need to expect more, and then probably pay cops more. Yeah. Or we need to, you know, make sure that the training that they have is sufficient to properly prepare them for what could come up. And you know, I I have my opinion on police officers as well, both good and bad. But at the very least, you got to equip them to do your job, do their job.
2: And let me say, let me say something really quick. I know we keep saying there's twelve weeks. They're not. It's kind of like lawyers. You don't just give them twelve weeks and go see ya and just drop right. them off. I mean, when they get their 12 weeks, they then go, and most of the time they are with another officer. It's kind of like when you graduate from school, there's still other things they have to do before they're just let out, you know, to run amok with a gun. But having said that, when you look at some of the police brutality we're talking about, these aren't untrained people. These aren't officers who are just new to the job. Right. So it's not just that you need to lengthen their training. I don't know. Maybe the type of training that they need to get, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down. I'm not doubting that. Maybe there's a way to give them some more real life experiences. Because when you think about what we see as police brutality, most of those again are spur of the moment. What do I do in this situation? And so it, you know, it's not that they were trained to, to do that. It's using their own, what they have, their own experiences, their own training and then reacting. And so I don't, I don't know that there's a way to to train for that better other than have life experiences, but maybe there is a better way. But I, I think that there, we could do training, but also like Mark was saying with social workers, something different that we could do with the community so that the police aren't always seeing us as a threat, but that we as black people aren't always seeing the police as a threat. Cause that's part of the problem as well.
0: So some of the things that I've kind of been thinking about this myself that, you know, without doing the qualifying statement of, you know, about how they're absolutely, I mean, it's without question that there's great uh, police officers, lawyers, judges, and and there's, but focusing on the systemic problems, the two things I think that needs to change absolutely is the officers who receive complaints. Are they thoroughly vetted after that point? Are those complaints taken as seriously as they should? Or is someone truly looking in and, and conducting an independent investigation into these complaints because as we've seen with the pr- a lot of this police brutality is there's is a pattern there is a con- a pattern of conduct by this by these officers where this is not the first time. this isn't you know there are plenty of snap judgment situations that happen and those are c- certainly case by case but when you have these cases where someone has had complaint after complaint after complaint, uh, and again, you know, as a defense attorney, my natural things, you know, just because you've been accused doesn't mean you're guilty. But out of the gate, I think that's right there is one of the things we need to focus on is the complaints. I mean, me personally, I have seen uh, police officers lie under oath, have been caught lying under oath, and, you know, let's just say the system – somewhat turned another eye to the the officers. There's a lot of deference that's been given in the system to police officers on, quote-unquote, credibility. And and because of that, uh, somehow, a lot of times there has been uh, systemic issues where, uh, you know, and again – I still want my law license, but some judges have turned. Yeah, these turn. are the opinions
1: of Dane Phillips. Uh, He's alone. You, He's can, right. you can go find him at SC Crib Lawyer. And I would just like for any police officer to listen. No, I love all y'all. Don't come by my house. I, hey, y'all ever want some lemonade and some cold water? Come on by. It'd be a great time.
0: Well, I'm not a scared person, so I'm going to just say what I feel. So, <laughs> what, I, so what I'm saying is the complaints and taking more serious about the testimony of law enforcement officers in our courts. It, I think it's w- way too much latitude with the testimony that's given with law enforcement officers. And part of that's accountability on, from the prosecutor's standpoint, too. And you know, April understands and, and certainly agrees. Uh, I think from a lawyer's perspective, there is a rampant ineffective assistance of counsel on the criminal defense side. I hate to say it as a criminal defense attorney, but I've seen it too often where we got to raise the bar. We got to hold ourselves to a higher standard as criminal defense attorneys of providing effective representation. You know, and I I just, I know a standard that I feel like a lot of us should be holding ourselves to, uh, you know, and Mark's the perfect example of a zealous advocate. And if we, I just feel that we need to raise the standard of public defense or criminal defense in south carolina and so that's that's my little rant
2: at least for for what you're saying dane in terms of holding law enforcement i think the pendulum though is starting to swing like it used to be i was a public defender from 99 to 2006 in and out and back especially then if an officer said it happened it happened like there was nobody really believed didn't believe your client didn't believe anything different But now when I'm in court, I got to prove not only that the officers what he said is true, I got to prove they want DNA, they want all this other stuff, even if the officer said that's what happened. So I I agree with you to some extent that that they do, but I, I think that the pendulum, especially with the things that are going on, is starting to swing more of where officers aren't just believed simply because they're officers, which I think is not a bad thing. I think it makes the system more fair for everybody if we treat everybody equally.
0: It's a great thing. The two greatest things is a cell phone uh, recording and a, net, and a Netflix documentary between cell phone recordings and <laughs> Netflix documentaries. Thank God, because now I feel like people, we do have an, people are listening. They ha, they are, you know, before you would have that head turn of I don't want to hear it. And I think the tide is turning. But we, we as, I mean, while we're having this podcast, there's still a long way to go.
2: I wish there was a database for what you're talking about. We've talked about it at, not necessarily in my office, but just in general, you know, there's no database really that keeps up with police complaints or um, times they've been in trouble with court. There's no, it's not an open, like to get a, a law enforcement, a law enforcement officer's record, I have to go through, even as a prosecutor, I can't just go get their jacket. I have to mm. go hurdles myself. It, you know, there's no national or, or even state database.
1: Or you could just go on black Twitter and Google the officer's <laughs> name and Perhaps. you'll get the whole background. <laughs> Whether I want it or not, I'll get things I don't I, want,
3: maybe. I got, I need a, new, really I got a new follower now. So, uh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think USA Today might have a, might have a database. I, don't, I think I saw an article about that maybe several weeks ago. So that who
2: does?
3: USA Today. I think they have a database of police complaints across the country.
2: But my understanding Um, is that's only if if the officers where they work voluntarily put that in
3: there. I believe so, yes. And and realistically, a
0: lot of prosecutors around the state fight. They do not want to turn over uh, that. You know, they don't want to turn over those uh, disciplinary records and complaints because that's in my supplemental motion discovery. And we end up having to go to a hearing and fight over it. And I, and I've had judges go, you know, do you really think you should have all that? And I had to tell a judge just the other week that I said, and because he gave that, do you think you should be able to get my information about? It? And I said, look, I don't care about your medical records. I don't care about your, uh, personnel records. What I would care about is if your testimony led to somebody getting a mandatory minimum of 25 years in life, because for my client it did for a trafficking case, then yes, if there's something bare to your credibility, then I need to see it bottom line i mean it's that simple
3: so go ahead yeah and, and you know um I, this brings back memories of a case i had again at the public def- federal public defender's office um this was a case where um the case law was bad when it came to you know people being stopped by police and whether the search was legal um whether it was a reasonable search and officers used like several indicators some were like air fresheners, some were like fast food, no luggage. And um, I had a case where the judge said that the search was illegal and threw out the case completely, the drugs and guns. And so, but i say that to say, because I remember back in 2010, there was another case that was in the state court system, and it came out the opposite direction. But you see, the pendulum is starting to shift um, to basically say, hey, let's look at this stuff from a common sense standpoint, Um officers Their testimony is important, but it's just like any other testimony in the case. They're just another witness. And so I I think you're starting to see judges um, looking at that more when they come to suppression issues as well. And um, and the Fourth Circuit recently had a decision. um, I think it was called the State of, I think it was Wayne Jones. They dealt with qualified immunity. Judge Floyd authored that opinion, and it was a very seismic shift in what the court said. They they mentioned George Floyd um, in the opinion. Um, and I think, and then it was just eye opening that the Fourth Circuit um,
2: was such strong
3: language, um, basically saying that qualified immunity should not apply in this case. And I think the facts of that case were five police officers shot a homeless man 22 times. And um, but I think you are starting to see a, 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 a assessment shift in the judiciary on these type of cases, and also criminal defendants' rights generally. So,
1: guys, as we uh wrap up, I do have a question so obviously, we have a lot of law students and um, uh, young lawyers who listen to the podcast, and they aspire to be what you two are one day as <laughs> as black attorneys as criminal uh people who work in criminal defense uh, in criminal prosecution uh Some of you keep people, innocent people out of jail. Some of you put innocent people in jail. Uh, I'm I'm just, I'm curious, what advice would you give to uh, young Black uh, attorneys who want to do what you do, want to make a difference in this particular field? I'll start with you, Mark, and then go to April.
3: I think the number one thing is build connections and relationships. Um, I think that, and I look at a lot of my job opportunities of getting into the um, legal world. We're built on connections, uh, meeting people, going to receptions, uh, going to uh, different law school events um, and developing relationships with the professor. Um, Those can carry a long ways because these are individuals who have been out uh, working for a while in the legal profession and made substantial connections um, across the country and even some cases around the world. Um, So I think building connections, um, don't be shy, ask people, How'd you get to where you at? Um, ask about volunteering if they're not paying, but just put yourself out there. And I think that's a big thing that um, a lot of African-American law students need to probably um, do to kind of get, get where they need to get to because uh, generally we come from you know, backgrounds where we may not have those connections. And I believe that's a very important, just uh, meeting people and networking. And for what about you?
2: Um, I would say, A, make sure you have a thick skin um, because you're going to get rejections, whether it's a professor who doesn't like you, whether it's a judge that doesn't like you, whether it's a colleague who thinks you only got there because of affirmative action. All of that will happen if you're a black law student or a black lawyer, all of and, that.
1: And April, not to you know, interrupt you, but sometimes you're coming out of a clerkship and you apply for a uh, job at the solicitor's office and they don't hire you. So sometimes that happens. A-
2: that wasn't me. Like, remember that Joseph, just remember, I wasn't in the <laughs> at that point. So don't be looking over here. Um, but, but I mean, you have to get used to all of that. And, you know, I think we as especially black people, we think we have to be better than everybody else and be perfect. And I think that gives you a huge, can give you a huge chip or feel like there's a weight and it's hard to get past that weight. Just be yourself. Just be the best you, whatever color, creed, race, you know, sex, whatever, do that, figure out what it is you like to do about the law and do that. Um, I love trial work. I did civil and family for a while and hated every second of it. Didn't like fighting over money. Didn't like fighting over divorces figured out I liked criminal and I like trial work. So I I would say try do what Mark says, try as many areas as you can as a law clerk, and then figure out what it is you like to do and do that. And don't what? Don't talk to Dane. I'm just Call
0: Call me so we can give April a hard time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I like that. That I'll go with.
1: Guys, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us uh, this evening. So if April... You work for the government and work for the people, so you aren't out there on uh, social media. But if you want to, I know uh, Mark and Mark McLawhorn Legal is on Twitter at McLawhorn Legal. Um, Facebook, I'm assuming, as well, Mark?
3: Facebook, McLawhorn Legal, and Instagram, McLawhorn Legal. There you what's, go. Your,
0: what's your website URL, Mark?
3: McLawhorn Legal.com. It's spelled M C L A W H O R N. L E G A L. So, the platforms and website. Go ahead, and follow them.
1: Uh, and then, of course, you can follow us. Amber is at Red Judicata. Dane is at SC Crum Lawyer. And I'm at Joseph P. Bias. And again, if you're on Twitter next Tuesday, follow us uh, as we talk through this OJ case. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Guys. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time for us. And uh, we'll see everybody next week on the Direct Examination Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. Well,
1: thanks.
0: Thanks, right. April. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody.